Hello and welcome to episode number 95 of the Perth to Paisley podcast, podcast covering Heart of Midlothian, as you all know by now. However, there is a slight difference this week. Last week we explained that Adam was in Canada and may or may not be able to be in attendance. He's not, so I've upgraded. I've drafted in fellow <laughs> podcaster, voice of Hearts TV, and the guy that without him... This podcast wouldn't even exist in the first place. It is Laurie Dunsire. Laurie, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. I- I'm intrigued as to how I am the um, the cause yeah. of, of Perth to Paisley or, or the inspiration, depending how you want to look at it. It's because, I don't actually know if I've ever said this on the podcast before. We might have, but I can't remember. Basically, you contacted myself and Adam independently to work with the Hearts women's team a couple of mm-hmm. years ago. And that's how me and Adam met. And then one night driving back from Kilmarnock away, Adam, we were in the car and Adam was like, Laurie's got a podcast. We should do a podcast. And I was <laughs> like, okay. So yes, indirectly, you're the reason we get abuse every week on Twitter. Well, yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. So much <laughs> appreciate So yes. Got Laurie in, we've got a lot to speak about because it's actually Adam goes away and the world ends and everything happens basically. So we're recording this on Tuesday the 2nd, it's going out tomorrow. However, this afternoon there was a very eventful day as we finally found out who one of two teams we will be playing in our Europa League playoff. Uh, Hearts were drawn either against Linfield or FC Zurich. The results of that obviously are dependent on the two-legged affair between those two sides. We managed to avoid Fenerbahce, Olympiacos, Partizan Belgrade, teams that I saw a lot of Hearts fans kind of saying they were nervous about getting as we didn't have much of a chance. The draw has been met with pretty much favourable reviews. How do you feel about the two teams that we are potentially playing? I was quite pleased. I think you you highlighted already some of the teams that I certainly would have wanted to avoid. Fenerbahce, I think, were the big one. Um, Olympiacos, you mentioned, although their result in their last game Mm -hmm. suggested they're not as strong as they have been. I I would be lying if I said I knew much about the current Olympiacos team, but as names go, they're a regular. You often see them in the Champions League group stages, a tough place to go. Partizan, I think you mentioned, Apart from anything, just such a tough away leg. And given mm-hmm. we have almost zero European experience in the <laughs> modern day, I don't know if we're quite ready for mm-hmm. a Serbian trip against a decent side. So they could it could have been better, but it could have been a lot worse. Um, I think of the two teams, most people are expecting it to be FC Zurich. And yep. that's demonstrated by the fact everyone's already posting their travel plans. Yeah. Albeit until tomorrow which might be when people are listening uh, Wednesday nothing is set in stone there is that sort of 24 hours just to make sure everything can take place on a certain day Um, so I think it will be in Switzerland on Thursday the 18th but Hearts have already tried to just reiterate to fans that they are not guaranteeing that if people are deciding to make travel arrangements (laughs) Basically subtweeting Joel Sked, essentially, if you go into his Twitter. Um, but yeah, I saw some people say that Linfield have a chance, which of course they're in the draw. They absolutely do. They were kind of easily swept aside by Bodo Glimt across their two legs. However, FC Zurich has been the kind of focus of attention because they've been through an interest in the last few years. They finished 7th and 8th in the Swiss League two and three years ago. But last season, they actually comfortably won the Swiss League. However, of that starting 11 that most often played, six of them have departed, including the management team as well. And I believe the current manager used to manage the Austrian national team, I think. Yeah. I read that, yeah. And they've lost their top scorer who apparently got around bang on or or around 30 goals last season. Gambian international. Um, So, like you, you've, you've probably read all the the snippets. Uh, it's only been it's only been a matter of hours since the draw was made. So I would be lying again if I said I had a huge in depth knowledge of FC Zurich. But I was surprised when I first looked and said, oh, actually they comfortably won the league last mm-hmm. year because the Swiss league, although it's not one of the the best leagues in uh, in Europe, 
you know, young boys, FC Basel, you see them on the European circuit quite often. So to comfortably win it was quite impressive. But yeah, the reports seem to be that their team have been completely torn apart. Their manager's gone and they've started this season relatively poorly. So um, maybe not as daunting as as comfortable Swiss champions suggest. But at the same time, you know, let's not beat around the bush. FC Zurich will be looking at that draw as well and going, that's that's a good team for us to get because let's 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 not hide from the fact that in pot one we were one of the probably weaker teams so yeah. they'll be delighted we'll be relatively pleased i think it's a game which gives both teams a good chance again through the group stage um and i, I suppose that the fact and i, I know joel sked reported this first of all the fact it won't be played at their home ground mm-hmm. to me without again reading too much into it it's a little bit of an advantage. They're playing about 50 miles away in St. Gallen. So it's the equivalent of Hearts playing at Taradice for the yeah. home leg instead of playing at Tynecastle. And that, to me, that takes a little bit away from it. I think their home ground is a bit open with the running track, but they're going to a different ground. I assume they won't have as many fans mm-hmm. in it, making a 50-mile trip on a midweek. That's yeah. probably a bit of a hassle for a few people. So hopefully that'll play to to us a little bit. And we've got the away leg first. I always like the away leg first. That's what I was going to ask you. You, you. you take them back to your place. You know what you've yeah. got to do. If we can get to Tynecastle within a goal of them, I'd be pretty happy. If we could try and maybe get a draw or just a narrow defeat, I think that puts us in a good place, in my view. I think that's very, very fair. And the amount of people I've seen just, more excited about the occasion. Craig Gordon was interviewed on Sky today and he said that a lot of the squad, because as you mentioned, he's kind of the only person in the squad with consistent European experience. Um, and most of the guys just came out the came out of training today and just wanted to see who the draw was and were kind of happy with anybody because they want to get to experience Tincastle on a European night. Something I've not really had because I wasn't at Burkakara as I was working and I'm glad I wasn't there <laughs> because that was, a, yeah, that was a different <laughs> experience. But then going back to group stages, uh, I wasn't really, I wasn't old enough to be at many of the games. I was at AK Athens. I was at Friendly against Osasuna and Murrayfield and stuff like that. But I've not properly experienced a European night apart from Spurs and Liverpool they were the two ones, but we just got battered by Spurs with like 15 minutes. So it's going to be an exciting game, at least, unless we're 5-0 down in the first leg. I, I mean, famous famous last words. I can't see it being anything like that, but, you know, there will be a good side. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we'll do well to just come back to Tyne Castle, still in the tie, and then hopefully take the game to them in the in the home match. But no, I mean, European games are terrific, especially at Tyne Castle. If, I've I've had a few of them. I mean, the the Liverpool and Spurs ones, obviously, very good atmospheres, mm. albeit disappointing results in the end. Spurs especially, but um, Stuttgart was one of my first mm-hmm. European games, and that one really stands out. There was only about fourteen thousand that night, but that was a terrific atmosphere. And obviously, we were a Gordon, Gordon Petrich sitter away from mm-hmm. from turning that game around, and it was what five goals, two red cards. It was a bit manic, um, and Bordeaux was. Bordeaux was a yeah. big disappointment, albeit it was a good atmosphere to begin with because we actually managed to get one of our best European results away from home and then threw it away in the the home leg. So um, under the lights at Tynecastle, I'm glad it's Tynecastle and not Murrayfield. I don't know if you noticed, we've having to upgrade things like the lights. Ah, um, okay. So in the I didn't see it happening around the full stand, but when we played the... Gary Locke testimonial game. They were still mm-hmm. along the concourse in the Wheatfield stand because our lighting had to be improved for group stage football. Oh, is that what um, that was? Right. Yeah, so yeah. the lights have been replaced. Um, I know the studio at the back of the um, main stand where obviously Mr. Borthwick and Gary Wales sit yeah. um, every second week. Um, that has to be extended slightly because that's not quite big enough. And there's just lots of little tweaks that you have to, to, to do. And that's mainly for a group stage. I think you get away with a few more things, sometimes qualifiers, but yeah. group stage, they up the requirements a bit. And obviously we've not had that um, <laughs> problem to deal with before. So yeah, here we are. It's a nice problem to have though. Yes, definitely. And it's very exciting. However, 
We do have league games until then. We obviously just need to sit back and watch. Zurich and Liverpool play against each other and we'll see who we're playing at the end of this month. But we did start actual proper football this past weekend. We all came back to Tyne Castle for the first game of the season against Ross County, a side who last season kind of gave us a lot of problems. Three draws, one win in the four games that we played against them. And even the win was a very contentious... We were a Conor Randall... I was about to say sitter, but his own player stopped it on the line, equaliser away from not beating Ross County at all last season. So I think some Hearts fans were justifiably a wee bit nervous going into it. And I think the nerves escalated dramatically when everybody saw the team and kind of the man in the moment, the guy who's been doing incredible well in preseason, everybody loves. Stephen Kingsley was omitted from the squad completely. And it's come out that in the training the last day before the game, he's picked up a niggle in his hamstring and it seems to be enough to keep him out for that game. And what we'll speak about at the end of this episode, it looks like the derby if we're listening to all the rumours. When you saw that starting lineup with Haring and Smith in the middle, no Kingsley, but a front three of Mackay, Shanklin, Forrest, that's exciting. How did you feel and how do you feel the game was going to go? I was disappointed, obviously, that Kingsley wouldn't be involved. He's, you know, one of our best players, arguably our best outfield player last season. Um, I suppose it didn't concern me so much for the game itself pre-match. He's one player. I felt also Kai Rolls is naturally left-footed, so him going to the left side of the defence wasn't a big deal. Craig Halkett, stronger in the centre of that back three, generally for Hearts, than on the right-hand side. I guess the concern is when you get to the right, of that defence. Yeah. Toby Civic, Judy still out a little bit. Um, he has struggled on that side of the defence. I think he settled a little bit more, if I remember rightly, in the centre of it at times. But mm-hmm. on that side, he sometimes looked a little bit hesitant, a little bit lost. And I suppose of the two wing-backs defensively, Nathaniel Atkinson, that's maybe the weaker side of his game at this point than Alex Cochran, who's maybe more of a defensive player. Although I thought he was absolutely fantastic. <laughs> um, so I did, I did, to be honest, disappointed. Um, I guess I was more just worried long-term about Kingsley than yeah. this Ross County game pre-game, and that's maybe naive of me, given how the opening half an hour would go. Well, yeah, that's fair, because I think I was like that. I was like, immediately when I saw Kingsley wasn't playing, your natural thought is to go to the Derby this weekend and any potential long-term ramifications. But I was thinking, okay... And I, I did go to Kai Rolls. I was like, right, Kai looked really good against Stoke. Obviously, it's a preseason game. However, he did look very good. So I was confident then. And in my opinion, at least in the first half, he was one of very few positives of that first half, especially that opening 20 minutes, because Ross County came out the traps immediately. And you could tell that they were not there to sit in and try and break on the counter. They were there. To be up in their faces, they wind up in a 4-2-3-1. And the main talking point was their new signing on loan from Bristol uh, City, Edwards, on their left-hand side, running up against, as you mentioned, Civic and Atkinson. And for that first 20 or so minutes, probably until Michael Smith moved there when Atkinson came off, Edwards was running rampant through us continuously. Oh, yeah, he looked a real fine, still only 21, and obviously only a loan deal, but um, it's a market that, you know, Malky Mackay is keen to to use the English market, be that loan deals or permanent signings, younger players as well. Yeah, I thought he was absolutely fantastic, and we were just all over the place. I, I didn't underestimate County, to be fair. I think after how they played last season, some of their signings on paper looked decent. I expected them to come and not just sit in, but I thought they would play a little bit more on the break that we would have a bit more of the attacking play and they would try and quickly break. But as you say, we didn't actually get much in the way of attacking opportunities in the first half at all. They did, they did counter, um, but that was often from pressing and winning the ball in the mm-hmm. middle of the park. And they, the, the press up the, up towards our defense was impressive as well. I thought, and yeah, I think there was a, the chance that he whipped in for Samuel, which off the post, that came mm. from an Edwards cross. He hit the crossbar with that fantastic shot after he put it around Nathaniel Atkinson. And um, to be fair to Atkinson, you know, when when we first started warming up, um, a substitute, I, I just assumed it was going to be tactical and we had to take him off because mm. we were getting torn to shreds. I think Robbie said afterwards he did have a little bit of a bug, so he hadn't yes. been 
um, fully fit anyway. And I know he sat down on the turf, and I think in commentary, Jimmy was like, well, I sitting down on the turf just to make, <laughs> make it look like it's a bit of a knock to, to halt proceedings and get him off. But um, he, he was run ragged, and we'll maybe just have to write that game off as a, he wasn't up to full fitness. But certainly they should have been ahead. I mean, hit the bar, hit the post. Sims with a chance after the header hit the post. Yeah. I don't know what he's doing. He, I don't know if he just doesn't expect the ball to come back to him because he kind of loses his footing and the ball gets caught under his left leg and he has that hopeful look to the assistant, I yeah. think, hoping there's a flag, but there isn't. Um, so, yeah, but but Jorge Grant, which is not his name, <laughs> but whatever everyone wants to call him, uh, came on and I think he really helped it wasn't just Smith going to the right because to be fair, after Atkinson went off, they had another big chance that came from that side yeah, within is. 60 seconds mm-hmm. when uh, Jordi Hula came through and Gordon had to save. But I think George Grant coming on the centre, I thought actually probably helped us more than anything. I thought he was very impressive. Uh, I saw a lot of people speaking about the starting of Haring and Smith whilst they're both very good on the ball. Obviously that's never in doubt. Your initial reaction is it's Maybe not pedestrian, that's like not the word, but it's a much less dynamic midfield than one with Devlin and one without Grant. And as you say, Grant came on and it's not even that he was suddenly demanding the ball all the time and driving us forward. It was just whenever he got the ball, he seemed calm, but always had the ability to drive forward himself. And I think he he definitely helped himself for getting into the starting eleven this weekend. Yeah, there's a big decision to be made uh, this weekend because of that, because I think Cammy Devlin will be well in contention. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously missed a, a couple of preseason friendlies before the county match, but he'll be in contention for the, the, the Hibs game. Smith started it. I, I would argue that that was just a stopgap. I don't think Smith in centre midfield is the answer. I think he's terrific. He's versatile. But when Ross County started to really pressure us and really show their kind of pace and their legs in behind I thought we started to look very weak in the centre and that didn't help with kind of the long diagonals I know Smith kept trying to drop in to help out in the defence but I I don't think he's the answer long term it's maybe a, a backup option so as for who you start in the derby I wouldn't be surprised if Robbie Nielsen favoured Cami Devlin because of the nature mm-hmm. of the match but I think a lot of fans if you ask them might be kind of might lean towards George Grant getting a a start given how he performed when he came on and like you said it wasn't just he didn't come on and do you know especially fantastic things straight away but it was just getting on the ball looking forward and kind of carrying hearts up the pitch rather than the more like pedestrian like you said mm-hmm. Smith and Haring I think both great players but sometimes you need a little bit of a different option beside them to help that dynamic definitely and I think the second half was a lot more like what we were hoping from the very first minute. Uh, and one of the two sets of players that I felt were doing that in the second half were on opposite sides. But Alex Cochran, as you mentioned earlier, one of the criticisms he received last season when he was on loan is that always very sound defensively, never need to worry about him in that regard. But especially because he's often used as a wing back instead of a full back, people would understandably like him to be a wee bit more involved. He did get three goals last season, but when you had a lot of the width having to come from the other side, it was, okay, can Cochrane improve that? I saw a lot of people during the Stoke game uh, compliment him on that. He was giving Harry Clark a really, really tough time. And he really showcased that, I felt, against Ross County. Even in the first half, I felt him and Rolls were kind of the two positives. They were not doing anything exceptional. Nobody was. But whenever those two got on the ball, I felt they were doing very well. And our first goal, which was very much undeserved at that point uh, to be taking the lead, is actually a brilliant goal. And we speak about George Grant as well. He's very key to it. But it's actually picked up by Forrest on the far side as you're looking at it from the commentary table. And Forrest plays it inside to Grant, who has great vision to see Cochrane out his periphery. Played to him. And Cochrane, he could be mistaken to think he needs to put this high for Shankland or just generally fire it across the face of goal but he actually sees that at least someone is running in and Forrest does incredibly well to angle his body and just kind of put him bottom corner and it's a couple of minutes after Forrest went in a great run as well where he got a, a couple of lucky bounces of the ball but you could tell in that second half Nielsen said that 
he had to kind of demonstrate the hairdryer a wee bit at halftime. But you could tell that we came out with much more intensity, much more of a plan, <laughs> apparently, of what seemed to happen. And somehow we're 1-0 up. Yeah, I really like Alex Cochran, actually. Sometimes I thought people maybe underestimate, underestimated yeah. him a little bit. Um, still only 22, only just turned 22 a few months ago. And I thought it was a terrific bit of business to get him on a permanent mm-hmm. deal. I didn't actually think we would be able to. You know, there's yes, a few English championship clubs who are interested. Still young, plenty of potential to improve. Um, and always very solid last season. And got forward very well. And I think last season, he maybe didn't do it as much as fans would have liked. But I thought that there were certainly games where he got yeah. forward. Like you said, he got a few goals from wing back or full back. He covered centre back, he covered full back, he covered wing back. Um, I really like him, and I thought he was one of, if not the best player out there for yes. Hearts. Probably, in fact, probably was the best player out, yeah, out there for Hearts at the weekend. Um, and it's a lovely goal, and I was pleased for Forrest as well because he not really done anything in the first half, albeit, <laughs> albeit the ball had really barely gone towards the front three in the first half. But like you say, it's a lovely move, and that's what we need sometimes, I think, at home when we're playing teams, because what County did very well, although they were very attacking in the first half, when they had to defend, they got men back in numbers mm-hmm. and they made it very difficult. They've obviously watched plenty of hearts as they would. And they'll know that sometimes we will move the ball around, but we won't want to go direct. So if they get yeah. 11 men behind the ball, it's up to us to try and knock it around and break them down. So you need players to, to, to move around, to drag players left and right to, to run into the holes. And I thought Forrest did that very well for the goal. Lovely run. And he did very well to finish. It was kind of hard to yeah. interpret exactly how he got his boot around and into the bottom corner. But really nice goal. And that's the type of thing I think we need um, with those type of players. Because in the first half, I think someone commented, we're forgetting that Shankland isn't Liam Boyce. Um, you know, yeah. Trying to fire up towards him and, and get him to kind of take it in not really his game. He is a very versatile player. He's a bit more versatile than just a poacher. But sometimes we were firing the ball up to him and the big Ross County defenders were just having a field day. We needed to think outside the box a little bit. And I think that goal showed it. And I was very pleased for Forrest because what you want the new signing is to to get off the mark quite quickly. And um, I'm starting to think maybe he'll be a more important player for us this season than Mm -hmm. I first thought when we signed him, which was that he'll be a squad player. I think most people did, to be honest. I remember, um, I think it was literally actually last week on your podcast where uh, Joel Sked was speaking about how he's really excited by Alan Forrest and thinks he could be our sign-in of the season. And I think a lot of people, when it was initially rumoured, were almost turning their noses up a wee bit, being like, well, we're about to go into Europe. Are we really going to take a Livingston player? But then when you look at how well he did for Livingston last season, you could tell there was a reason we were interested in him. And I felt he's really impressed in pre-season whenever I saw him. And yes, as you say, he didn't have a good first half, but nobody did. So I won't exactly hold that against him. And I felt in the second half, even apart from his goal, he was really heavily involved. And I agree now, I think he could be our starting option on that right-hand side. Yeah, and I mean, it's the positions that there's been most criticism at, I suppose, last season... You know, in terms of the front three, Barry Mackay is the first pick. Boyce, very good. But that next option, yeah. I think last season was one of the positions where people had most question marks because neither Gary Mackay, Stephen or Josh Janelli really impressed enough to suggest that they should be first pick. They're obviously both at the club. Whether they'll be at the club still at the end of the window is mm-hmm. another matter, but they are still there. But certainly so far, I would say Forrest is doing enough to suggest already that he would be a a preferable choice than either of the other two. But but it's again, it's a good problem to have because sometimes part of the issue we've had is not having that squad depth in terms yeah. of, well, we, we can't drop players because we don't have many other players to come in and replace them. But I suppose if we've got more options, then maybe if Forrest does drop drop form, Janelli can get a chance or Gary McKay-Steven can get a chance and maybe they'll have to prove it. And if, if they don't prove it very quickly, then they'll be back out again. Yeah, 100%. And you mentioned... You mentioned Shankland. I wanted to ask you about that because I saw a lot of people kind of going, we don't know what to make of his debut because he he didn't technically do anything, but everybody was in agreement with that wasn't by his design or fault because there was a couple of times early in the first half where Ross County were really piling on the pressure for us and doing well, where Gordon would go long and Shankland would actually win a flick on and immediately the crowd would realise, wait, 
he's meant to be the one running on to a flick on. He's flicking it on to nobody. Boyce came on for him, and I think some fans potentially wanted to see a, a period of time with them playing together because, especially ahead of this derby, the front four, if you include Boyce with the starting three that started Shanklin to Mackay and Forrest, all four of them probably played quite well at the weekend. Boyce came on and did his usual of just allowing freedom of movement, linking up. Mackay scored his goal that we'll get to. Forrest scored his goal and Shanklin was a bit, it was a bit unfair to criticise him because he was trying his best. And what do you see the system being with both of them? Do you think we'll ever see both of them playing together? I think we will. Uh, the honest truth is how they'll both fit in. I'm not quite sure yet because I think last season when we saw the best of Boyce, it was when we had Ellis Sims mm-hmm. as the number nine and Boyce was kind of playing in behind. So they had him and Barry Mackay, kind of that dual tens that Robbie Nielsen likes to do sometimes. So he almost played that three, four, two, one. Yeah. Um, rather than maybe the slightly wider players that we, we can sometimes utilise. Um, and Sims was great at that because he can flick it on, he can hold it in. He had great body strength. Um, his hold-up play was fantastic, the way he could hold off defenders. Um, but Shanklin's a bit of a different player, so I, I don't know yet. I think it's a good option to have, but in a game like Saturday, he did get very isolated because mm-hmm. you want him being the player, like you say, running off a flick on or getting on to through balls but he wasn't getting anything to work with. He was expected to come and pick it up. And I know that's what he often had to do at Dundee United was drop in and try and pick the ball up and create things. And Dundee United weren't creating very much in the top <laughs> flight. And I think he even said when he was in Belgium, at times he was playing wing back. Yes. Um, so uh, the honest truth is, I don't know. I think there will be games that we'll see will be very good for Lawrence Shankland up front on his own. There'll be games where it won't work and we'll need someone like Boyce. Um, I suppose that is my concern is that we haven't replaced Ellis Sims in yeah. terms of neither of those players are an Ellis Sims. Um, so do we lose that option to really go direct? Because Ross County kind of seemed to force us into that. Mm-hmm. You see, they they pressed the centre-backs and, and, and made them play it long and we couldn't really make anything of that because there wasn't a boys to hold it in and there wasn't a Sims to flick it on. Yeah. Shanklin, like I say, he won a couple of balls, but it's not really his game. He did his best. He did his best. Um, so I, that would be my one concern would be, will teams think, right, if we force him direct? Because that's what Sims gave us that extra dynamic in the second half of the season. We were starting to not falter, but we started to look a little bit one-dimensional. Teams had started to work us out, made it difficult, forced Boyce back, and we ended up with no one up front because Boyce kept dropping deep. We had no strikers, um, and it nullified our threat. Sims changed that dynamic. So we maybe just haven't quite got to grips with how do we use Shankland in that team yet? I think that's fair. Uh, one player who is definitely... That was a not... long way of me saying I don't know. <laughs> that's fair, though. <laughs> I'm fully on board with that. Um, someone who's been consistently great and winging everything is Barry Mackay. I actually felt he didn't have his best game at the weekend. He was doing his usual of trying to find these outside-the-foot passes, but more often than not, they weren't kind of coming off for him. But then he is one of those players where everybody forgets about that when he does what he did because Cochrane plays a very long ball, funny enough, speaking about Sims, similar to the one he played for Sims at Dundee United last season. Um, and somehow, despite him being surrounded by a few players, Byron Kyle manages to get his foot in between all of them, whip it to the side, takes those defenders out of the equation. The keeper comes out because obviously he has to do something. Byron Kyle shows the intelligence to take a further touch and all he has to do is pass it in the net. I've seen people say it's already a contention for goal of the season. We're on day one. But my biggest happiness with it is that it took Barry Mackay 30 games last season to score for Hearts, whereas now day one he scored. Obviously, you were on commentary for it, and I've heard your commentary. Um, But just is he one of those players that people will be a lot more forgiving to having games like he did on Saturday because he will always have the ability to do what he ended up doing? Absolutely. I mean, that touch is step above what you'd normally get in the Scottish Premiership, to be honest. It's normally something you'd maybe see, you know, like Jota's goal for Celtic against yes. Aberdeen. That's what, When I watch that game, that's like, see, that's why you can't compete with Celtic and Rangers because they've got players who can just blink of an eye, do something like that. And it's a player which is worth, what, what seven million quid or whatever yeah. Celtic mm-hmm. paid. And it's like, that's the wage bill or bigger wage bill than most of the top flight clubs. Yeah. 
Um, but Barry Mackay, that that is a touch. He can't normally find a player with that technical ability who'll be playing in Scotland mm-hmm. outside of Glasgow generally. And you're you're spot on with that. You you have to forgive a player like that because you know goals win games. And if you're someone who can create a goal or score a goal at the blink of an eye, then it's the same way the man who's behind me. I mean, yeah. you know, you famously hear people and and you know fellow teammates of Scatchel saying. He was lazy. He didn't do much. He walked around, played to the crowd. He didn't try it back. He would go through games and have barely any involvement, but then bang, he'd pick up 30 yards from goal, smash in the top corner, and you're like, well, that's why he gets away with it. Yeah. And although Barry Mackay, to this date, hasn't got the goal-scoring record of Scatchel, um, I think it was 12 assists last season mm-hmm. um, and two goals, so you know, 14 direct goal involvements, I think, um, if, if you want to call it that. That is that is impressive, and if he can come up with a brilliant cross, a brilliant pass, or a sensational touch that creates a goal, you will get away with not being in the game that much. Um, so yeah, you, you'll let him off with a quiet match, but just fantastic. And I'm similar to Cochrane. I'm surprised that we managed to keep him um, okay. any longer. I know he was still contracted, but I didn't think we'd get him on an extension. Um, so another terrific bit of business and yeah just a fantastic player and hopefully a lot more goals this season well at this point you think it's all plain sailing we've somehow got to 2-0 up when we should have been 2-0 down at half time however there was one issue in the second half as pretty soon after two minutes later as people around me were saying can we get to 3-0 immediately we're pegged back to 2-1 as it's from our throw-in funnily enough and I can't even, I think it's Baldwin at the back for Ross County, just sends a long ball over the top. And Kai Rolls is either flat footed or he's just what I actually think is happening. He's not expecting it at all. Goes over his head. And Jordan White, in fairness to him, times his run brilliantly, ends up one on one. Gordon tries his best to make himself big. White realizes that, so just slots it underneath his feet. It then creates a nervy 12 minutes, which we do then see out. But the, the main takeaway from this is Kai Rolls obviously had a very good game generally, but is this something you put down to, as Nielsen said, where it's just he's still coming into the team, getting used to everything, or is it a potential worry that during the whole game on all sides, we seem to be getting caught out, as you said, from that counter, that ball over the top where they were starting to run in behind? I think it has to be a concern. I don't think it's a major concern at this point because we're still early. Uh, we still won the game. Uh, but it was very it concerned me a lot in the first half as well it was very simple for Ross County to get in behind us a few times you know fair enough Edwards was fantastic but there was a couple of times they just launched it back to front they they, they tended to be targeting our right hand side quite a bit but a few times they just launched it over the top and Civic for someone who's pretty tall sometimes seems to misjudge longer mm-hmm. balls a tad is I don't know if it's his positioning or just his his kind of awareness but he sometimes seems to be caught out he does have the advantage that he's got a reasonable turn of pace so he can sometimes recover but that does concern me a little bit so I don't know if it's just a newish defensive line because Rolls like you say was pretty solid throughout but uh, that one was a bit worrying straight over the top and in some ways Gordon is usually where he excels is making himself big I thought he yeah. did he, he almost committed too early he threw himself out and up in the air and it was almost decided for you know if a keeper goes down really early you can see the striker decides he'll try and dink him if he does that you know makes himself really big kind of sprawls out in the air he kind of left it open so maybe not as blame him for the goal but maybe not his best bit of um his best bit of goalkeeping from that sense but yeah it made it very nervy and it was ironic it was probably the time where county had looked least threatening was when they Mm. scored but it's the old kind of cliche of you're at your most vulnerable immediately after scoring a goal we'd scored we had a couple of subs and it felt like the ground had kind of relaxed we've won the game yeah. now it's 2 now it's done and dusted and I don't know if that did emanate onto the park a little bit because it felt like everyone just fell asleep and and suddenly it was like oh shit yep, exactly. <laughs> this isn't done yet there's still 10 minutes to go well thankfully we did see it out started the season off with a win which gives us the perfect momentum going into this Saturday Immediately, to Ron Gordon's disgust, there is an Edinburgh derby this weekend. And first of all, I feel like we just kind of need to speak about the situation Hibs are in because it's been an eventful pre-season for Hibs, to say the least. Um, They've had 
a pretty disastrous League Cup campaign by their standards, obviously knocked out by both performances and admin-based errors, we'll put it like that. Um, however, they, of course, did also get off to a winning start this weekend, uh, a 90th minute winner away at St Johnston, um, kind of a game marred by controversy as well with debatable red cards and debatable cards that weren't red. Um, overall, before we speak about how you're feeling about the game in particular, how do you feel about Hibs generally going into this season? They're a bit of an unknown. Mm-hmm. As much as as much as we've we've had a laugh at some of the calamities going on there, uh, as much as I'm not entirely sure about Lee Johnson, um, they are a very unknown quantity. To be honest, I thought when we played them when they had Maloney in charge, I thought it was evident very quickly that that it was not going to work. It was it was Cathro esque. I think mm-hmm. um, I had. I was almost entirely confident that Sean Maloney would not be a success at Hibs and it wouldn't last very long. With Lee Johnson, I genuinely, I don't know. He's got a bit more behind him uh, managerial-wise. Some of their signings on paper looked reasonably promising. Um, Hibs got, at the same way, you get excited about some signings, which there's no proof in the pudding yet because they've done it in a B team in Portugal or you've not seen them play in Scotland yet but a lot of signings I think probably 9 or 10 in the end have signed not all first team players so there is a little bit of an unknown about Hibs um, I still think pound for pound when I look at them even though I don't know an awful lot about some of the new signings that we still look a better side we're a more settled side um, I, I don't I, I don't want any complacency about this game I don't necessarily know that Hibs will be mugs um, uh, it's just still a lot up in the air so I hope we go into the game with a decent mindset and I do hope that we take the game to them because I guess you're going to talk about the formation I'll, I'll let you get to that mm-hmm. but um, they are such an unknown quantity like Falkirk total calamity um, but they managed to get a win in the end and although it wasn't by all accounts the greatest game some dodgy decisions, they ground out a result. Um, it's a place that we've not won at <laughs> in the league in 12 years. So, um, yeah, I'm wary about underestimating Hibs at this point. That's basically exactly where I am. Um, I've got a few Hibs mates and knowing the Terrace guys, speaking to them and seeing how they're feeling. There's a general kind of sense of pessimism, but sprinkled in optimism in specific areas. And one of the main optimistic parts comes from Ellie Yuan, the the new striker that they've brought in, who obviously, again, is, as you say, very unknown, but the small sample size we've seen of him, he does annoyingly look actually to be quite a good signing. He scored five against uh, the Norwich B team, which again, how much can you read into that kind of result? But still, scoring five in any game at the age he's at is pretty impressive. Um, Porteous is obviously his own enigma, in and of himself, but I agree generally. I think that our squad overall is better than theirs, but it does worry me that there is an element of, oh, it's fine. Yep, we're flying high. Hibs are getting beat by admin issues. We should be fine. Whereas I think even just watching the St. Johnston highlights and speaking to people, there is definitely an aspect of, well, they have strengths. We do have weaknesses. And you said there about the formation. I want to ask, what formation would you play? Because there's been a lot of debate about, do we stick with the three? Do we move? There's been discussion about four, two, three, ones and stuff like that. What do you feel? Do you feel that we need a formation change in general with Kingsley out? Or do you feel that if Kingsley is missing, which by all accounts he is, we just need a formation change to for this one specific game? I think we need, and I think Robbie will do this, I th- I don't think we necessarily have to have one formation over the other. I think throughout the season we will see a 3-4-3 and we will see a 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3, however you want to look at it, and you will see it switch in games as well sometimes. Obviously the, the frequency of either one might depend on how successful we are being or who's available and who's not. Um, for this game, my preference would be to go with a four, and I would probably do that regardless of Kingsley being in or out. However, if he's out, I would definitely want a four. And part of it, part of it, very simply, is Hibbs will play a four-two-three-one slash four-three-three. They'll play a similar system, 
And pound for pound, like I say, I think we have better players. So I'd rather match up, um, which I know it's oversimplifying it to an extent, but I'd rather match up um, because I think we've got better players. 3-4-3, it works when we've got everyone available who we need to, but I still, with John Suter gone, if we're allowed to say his name still, yeah, that right side of the back three concerns me a little bit because Sibic doesn't look very comfortable there. Um, Atkinson at right wing back, it's still yet to prove himself defensively, I would say. Yeah, um, I and I know we put Halkett there with Rolls in the middle and Kingsley left in some of the preseason games, but I think we're then moving Halkett away from his strongest position because he actually, when he was getting a lot of criticism, he was playing on the right, or at some points the left, but mainly the right of the back three, whereas when he moved to the centre, he was much more impressive, and I think it helped that Kingsley and Suter both yeah. comfortable to step out. So one steps out, kind of move into almost the four, the other steps out. Um, so I would personally want to go with a four. A lot of it matching up, a lot of it to do with potential who's available as well. Could I get a team for me? Because I also agree. I have not hesitancy because I think even just as a player over the last 18 months, Halkett's really grown and kind of stepped up as well. There is a perhaps worry that he, he kind of previously struggled in a two, but I always put that down to he had the partner he was with in a two was either a pension age Christoph Beryl with one knee and Mihai Popescu, who I don't even think he knew what he was ever going to do at any time. So I always felt Halkett was let down by that. Even just with two games of sample size that I've seen him, I feel like Kai Rolls is a much more calming influence than either of those two, so is better equipped. So I can guess your goalkeeper, unless you're Properly throwing a spanner in the voice and going with Ross. <laughs> Certainly not. <laughs> but um, gonna get an eleven. Uh, okay. So you th- I didn't I didn't plan this one. So I'm just having I'm just having a look now. At my, I'm just typing something. <laughs> um, I would probably go Smith right, Cochrane left of a back four with Halkett and Rose in the centre. Now I'm basing this on Kingsley not playing. Yes. Yeah. I don't know that for sure, but just the vibe I get with a, a hamstring strain. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just gonna assume he's not in. Um. So probably a four-two-three-one. Center is an interesting one because I would probably go with Haring and Grant mm-hmm. in the center with an attack in three of Forrest, Boyce, and Mackay mm-hmm. and Shankland up front. Um I have put Haring slash Devlin, but it's very difficult. Of the midfielders, you'd say Grant would be the strongest one to pick because yeah. I didn't think Haring was bad, especially the weekend, but he wasn't he wasn't at his best. Um, I'd be, but I'd be very surprised if he didn't give him a start in the derby. Um, so I'd be inclined to go Haring and Grant, but I wouldn't be surprised if Robbie would favour Haring and Devlin. I'm, I'm personally the exact same as you. I would pick that sound different, but for me, it is that too as well. And there is a part of me that would like to see Devlin and Grant start together. However, the thing is, is in preseason games, I think Devlin and Grant have played with each other twice. I think Crawley impressed him with two games, or. Crawley and Tranmere actually and Devlin was actually the one pushing forward more yeah, yeah. which That's... I found I don't I didn't find surprising because Devlin's whole thing is just Duracell Bunny run about all the time but with what we've heard and now seen of Grant where he seems to be the superior attacking player in terms of Devlin often gets into positions and then doesn't do a lot with it because that's just not his game so I don't know if a two of Devlin and Grant would work because I feel like Devlin's energy for a derby, especially away from home, is great and really needed. But I would rather Grant be the one progressing forward because I feel like he could actually do more damage. So it is hard because Haring also is just so good at calming everything and settling everything down. Yeah, no, it's, it is a tough one, that part of the field, but I would certainly favour that kind of the, the four two three one. I would like to see Boyce in that sort of number 10 role. And I think Forrest, Boyce, Mackay, all supporting Shankland. I think that would mm-hmm. really benefit us um, in terms of creating chances and maybe bridging that gap between um, Shankland and the other players that maybe we, we saw a bit too much of in terms of the gap on Saturday. Um, whether uh, whether Robbie would go, I suppose, maybe as attacking as that, to have Forrest, Boyce, Mackay and Shankland all on, effectively a front four. I'm not sure he would maybe want to keep that option in reserve and I suppose he, the other option is he could possibly start 
Harring, Devlin, and Grant. Yeah, um, and maybe put Grant more forward. He wouldn't quite be a 10, but someone who can move up. And you can rotate, I suppose, if you wanted, like I said, push Devlin into that yeah. position. We've done that a few times. So he maybe would want to do something like that earlier on and use someone like Boyce off the bench as an option if we if we haven't found a goal and we need to we need to chase the game a little bit more. I think that's the biggest thing this season. It's just whilst there was concerns about Kingsley not playing at the weekend and concerns about him not being here, but we just finally have a squad where I trust most, if not all, the players to at least help us do something. Maybe not Ross Stewart, but generally <laughs> in terms of outfield positions, as you say, it's like we could put Devlin here, he has qualities that others don't have, Haring, Grant, could move Mackay across the front three, Forrest across the front three. I like the idea of Mackay and Forrest with Boyce in the middle behind Shankland because, whilst obviously, as we were saying, Shankland isn't just stand on the penalty spot, shoot type of striker. He can do other things. It means that he doesn't need to worry about that other stuff as well because Boyce is exceptional at that link-up. Yes, he, he perhaps doesn't score as many as some people feel he should or want to, but what he brings to us is so useful. And I I want to see him and Shanklin together because I just feel it would work well. Yeah. And I think, apart from anything, I, I want us to take the game to Hibs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, maybe sounds strange because I'm saying I don't want us to underestimate Hibs. But, you know, sometimes one of the criticisms of Robbie Nielsen has been in certain games being overly cautious, maybe at Easter Road. And I feel like Hibs, although they've got some good players, we don't want to let them settle into the game, let them try and get a grip of it. I think we should take the game to them. We've got the better players. We have a better record at Easter Road over the course of history than they do. Yeah. I'd like to see us not, and it's not go gung-ho. It doesn't mean I want us to be attack, 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 but try and play on the front foot and try and, um, I suppose, dominate the ball and be the team that are creating the chances because I tell you what, that Easter Road crowd will very soon turn up. Like like the yeah. like the Tancastle crowd turned mm-hmm. on on Hearts very early on Saturday and I understood it because we were getting taken apart by Ross County um, and I have no doubt that that nervousness kind of fed onto the pitch as well what you want to do at Easter Road is you know they'll be up for it before the game it'll be a good atmosphere for the home fans um, they'll obviously be getting right behind the side early on if we come out and we're taking the game with them not even necessarily scoring but if we are the ones attacking creating chances creating chances very quickly that crowd will turn on the homes on the home players and a lot of them are fairly new sign-ins they won't be used to that some of them have been there before and they'll know what it's like when <laughs> things are down so i'd want to kind of not let them settle into a game not let them get the fans behind them and kind of turn it against them early on and obviously with our support there again they'll be very vociferous it won't take long for them to start dominating off the field so that's what i would like to see on um on sunday midday very much agreed. I want a score prediction, and much like you guys do, I want a goal scorer as well. Oh, okay. Well, obviously, I have to go with the Hearts win. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say a 2 0 Hearts win. And although it's very obvious, I'm going to go Shankland. It's kind of like you know, it's picking the obvious goal scorer, but <laughs> That's he's going to show what he can do on, on Sunday. I'd very much like that. I don't think it's going to be quite as easy as that. I'm going to go 2-1. I think we're going to concede just purely because I think they'll go to do what Malcolm McKay did and go focus on Civic if he plays. If he doesn't, then I think if our team plays, because we're clearly superior tactically, we'll win 2-0. <laughs> no worries at all. Well, um, that's what I'm basing it on. Yeah, that's true. Then. I'll blame Robbie Nielsen true. if we concede. Yes, he exactly. didn't go with my team. Exactly. Uh, and I'll go... I'm going to go with Forrest again. I'm going to go that he's going to keep going. I trust him. And he seems to go mental with celebrations, so I want him to go properly mental. Or it might be a new signing that we've not... Oh, I'd, I'd love it to be. I'd love it to be a, a new signing. Um, it's a, a good way to endear yourself to the Hearts fans. Well, that's the... Before we go on to the quiz, the final little piece is that late last night, out of nowhere, we got linked with one of those sign-in rumours that is exciting just because no one's really heard of them and it's from a, it's not a Scottish player as Lee Seung-woo the South Korean international a former of Barcelona is apparently not close to signing but Barry Anderson, the oracle of all hearts information has said <laughs> that we're at least making contact with him 
Uh, the left winger slash number 10 area has done very, very well in the past half season, I guess you want to call it, in his native homeland with 10 goals and two assists in 22 games. Very highly thought of when he was younger. Um, there was a bit of controversy as he was part of the legal case with Barcelona that they were he was viewed alongside many other players to be signed under malicious content, so wasn't able to play for three years for Barcelona, uh, and then moved uh, for a million pound a couple of times to Italy, and then is back in his native homeland. What do you make of the potential signing that seems to have got everybody just fully on board off the rumour alone? It's our, our South Korean World Cup star, 16 yes. years too late, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Um, is he related to Ang Jung Wan in any way? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, a, a very exciting prospect i suppose not the type of signing i think people get excited about signing like this because it's very different to what we're used to um not just because it's south korean but it's a tricky skillful slight uh number 10 um i know he can play kind of inside forward or number 10 but you you saw from the clips of people he talked about he's he's short he's skillful he's got a lot of pace um uh, yeah on paper, very exciting. I mean, obviously came through the Barca youth system, got some games in Serie A and Serie B with Hellas Verona, brief spell in Portugal under <clears throat> Paolo Sergio, mm-hmm. um, some time in Belgium as well. But I suppose if we're looking at a caveat that and play devil's advocate as well, I guess the concern is Riotaro Meshino had a, a decent pedigree, maybe not quite as good a pedigree because he'd not really done much in Europe at that point. But he was a similar type of player in terms of Kind of a typical um, what you see from a lot of the South Korean and Japanese attacking players. They tend to to have these very slight, quick, and I think they called them the South Korean Messi. Yeah, they tend to favour that type of football, that type of attacking player, um, where they're quick and skillful, but they're not going to want to get involved in too much of the physical side of the game. Um, and that's where Meshino, I thought, really fell down. You can discuss his overall quality um, beyond that, but I think that was a big thing. You know, physically, he got bullied around, he wanted to get the ball down, try his flicks, try and take players on. Sometimes Scottish game is not the best for that. I think you have to be a very good player to be that type of player and do well in our league. Um, Furuhashi is a typical example of that. Mm-hmm. He can do it in our league because he is not a terrific player. He's almost a step above what you'd often get in Scotland. So that would be my concern. Is He certainly looks great and you see clips of him playing in the K-League um, but that is a very technical league. It's not as physical. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not going to come up against as many big, um, big burly defenders and yeah. central midfielders that will just kick you, kick you around. So I guess that would be my concern. But if he can do what he's done in a lot of the clips we've seen, I'd be very excited. However, I think his agent is basically suggesting he's quite happy at the moment. Yeah. So there is interest, but it's not close to a deal at this yeah. point. So... We'll see. I don't think he's going to be scoring the winner this weekend. Basically, I would. Be, if he does sign for Hearts, yeah, I'd be very surprised if it was in time for Sunday and in yeah. time to be playing on Sunday. But certainly, it's interesting. I do like us looking out of the box at players yeah. like that, and we don't have, you know, it's similar to Barry Mackay in many ways. And sometimes you could say that of Barry Mackay that he's quite slight. He maybe mm-hmm. if the game gets into a bit of a battle, physical, he maybe does fade away sometimes. Um, but yeah, it's sometimes quite a culture shock because I know he's played in Italy. Yeah. Um, I, I would be lying if I said I, I watched a lot of the Portuguese league or the Belgian league, but certainly in Italy, it can be still a fair bit more technical than the Scottish league. So it would just be how he would acclimatise to the, the difference in the game. Well, we will wait and see and hopefully he does arrive and hopefully he's class. But we will end with a quiz as we have done <laughs> recently. Um, okay. These are... The first half is Derby focused, and then there's okay. a couple other questions, and then there's a who am I? Who I'm telling you now, he cannot do as bad as Adam. Adam is currently zero and two for the who am I's. <laughs> I've However, seen this game, yes, yes, he has thought of the person both times, but just didn't say them, and then was like, "Oh, for God's sake, I should have said." It. So you've got that. <laughs> At least okay. you've got that. However, we'll start. So the first three questions are all Derby related. So number one. Who was the last player to score a hat trick in an Edinburgh derby? Oh, last player to score a hat trick. Has anyone done it since Mark Tavry scored a hat trick? 
Um, I'm just going to say Mark DeVries because I don't know if anyone's got a hat-trick since then. You're going to kick yourself. You're incorrect as Paul Hartley scored. Oh, shit. <laughs> Fuck off, Laurie. That's a great That is start. terrible. That is terrible. I'm embarrassed. Just well, that's... maybe the Adam shout wasn't as good as I thought it was good. No, that is, that is terrible. <laughs> well, I'm not getting back on with that. that let's awful. see if you can redeem yourself with question two. As how many goals were scored across all derbies last season? Not all Dundee and our derbies. The four games we played, how many goals were scored? Um, nil, 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 three, one, four, um, seven. Yes, correct. You've got, you're on the board. <laughs> I'm okay at maths. <laughs> yeah, right. Here's a true or false. So you've got 50-50 chance. Okay. Uh, aside from Hibs, the Scottish club hearts have beaten the most is Dundee. True or false? Oh, that's a good question. The Scottish Club of Hearts have beaten the most aside from Hibs. True. It's actually false. Uh, I thought it was true. I assumed okay. it was true as well. It's actually Motherwell. Okay. Which I'll be I, honest, it was a guess. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I didn't think you'd have documentary like knowledge of all of this. But yeah, I didn't expect it to be Motherwell as the actual answer. That's I guess breaking it down, maybe I mean Dundee have had more, quite a few games outside of the top flight and ah, we weren't playing true. them, maybe. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Well, this one is a multiple choice one and it's an, I've made it deliberately annoying. And you won't know this fact, it's going to be a guess because I saw it on Twitter today and I was like, that's interesting. Okay. When did Tynecastle officially open? 1886. Well... Okay, you've got that. <laughs> I didn't even need to give you the options. Okay. I knew that. Well, I don't know why I knew that, and I didn't know that Paul Hartley's going to have to. I know, I know. <laughs> well, fair play. You got that without even... That's better than Adam's ever done. So you've got that. I, I mean, to be honest, I have an advantage on that one because in 2006, mm-hmm. I arranged a card display in the Wheatfield stand, which marked 120 years of uh, Tynecastle, and it said 1886. Fair enough. And so, probably a slight advantage. And I was literally talking about that card display in the last week because it came up when we were talking about card displays because of the wonderful Drew Busby yes. um, display that took place at the weekend. I promise I didn't know that. That wasn't just to give Laurie an easy answer. Oh, well, you've given me an easy question. I got it wrong. So <laughs> That's true. That's very true. So finally, it is the who am I? So okay. I've got five clues for you. Assigned for hearts from an Eredivisie side. I scored on my debut as a substitute, and it was the only goal I scored for the club. Kenny Anderson. It's immediately Kenny Anderson. That's that's the best you've had of who am I. I've at least needed all the clues. That's because he scored against good. Livy and then he was pish. I think he only played yes. nine times. Well, this is this is the thing. The next clue was going to be he had to play nine times in order to get a medal for the championship season, which he did because he came on in the two-all draw on the final day against Rangers. There was other clues where I had he was rumoured amongst Hearts fans to only be signed to appease Zeefuk because Zeefuk <laughs> wanted a Dutch mate. And to speak to. finally, the last clue was going to be despite only turning 30 this year, I retired in 2020 mm. after falling all the way down to the Dutch amateur level, which I was really surprised to see. I wasn't surprised to see that. Well, that's true, actually. Because he was Kenny rubbish. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so the clue, because some people were going to I saw people speaking about the game he came on because it is the infamous game where Sam Nicholson got, got stuck in, the, in face, the face. Yeah. yeah, and no red card was given, but he replaced Sam Nicholson. So that is the best. Forget your Paul Hartley question. You've redeemed yourself. I can't. I can't. <laughs> I should have got that one right and everything else wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that was, I think, barring that, which now will live on forever online, that was a very respectable effort in the quiz. So well done. It was too obvious. It was too too yeah, obvious that yeah. question. Threw me with the obviousness. Because I thought of Mark DeVries as well. I saw that. It was like, who was the last man? And I was like, well, Mark DeVries immediately. And then I was like, oh no, wait, yeah, Paul Hartley. So I wanted to see if you did the exact same thing as me, which you did. At you least did. I didn't even consider there would be there would have been a hips player though. Exactly. There hasn't been for 
fucking ages. So since Mixu Patalainen. Yeah, Mixu was the yeah. last one. Yeah. So hopefully that doesn't change this weekend. I feel like we've yeah. fixed it now. I feel like <laughs> by you forgetting Paul Hartley, the gods are gonna be like, right, okay. Oh dear. Well, what an amazing way to end Laurie's debut on the <laughs> podcast. But thank you very much for coming on and covering for Adam. No, you're you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. No worries. I know everybody will know already, but tell people how to find Scars Around the Funnel and yourself on Twitter. Yeah, if you want to listen to a different Hearts podcast than this one, <laughs> um, or in addition to, uh, yes, you can find us in all the usual places to listen, all the podcast apps, Apple, um, Spotify, etc. And you can find us on Twitter at Around the Funnel. And we'll be recording tomorrow or today when this is going out. Yes, yes, absolutely. So we are obviously at Perth to Paisley. And all the social medias, likewise, you can get us and all the podcast apps and YouTube. If you've enjoyed this, please give us a subscribe on there. I'll be back next week with another guest because Adam's still going to be away to review the Edinburgh Derby, hopefully one that we've won, see an update in the European situation and preview the Dundee United game. But until then, see you next time. Bye-bye.